All right. Well, this morning we're going to continue worshiping by looking at the Word and spending some time in the book of James. And before we get into that, I'll take a moment for us to pray. Uh, Take a moment for us to ask God to help us continue to worship Him by seeing what He would say in His Word, uh, to help, ask Him to help me teach and ask Him to help you listen. All right. So would you pray with me? Uh, Father, it is our desire that you would be magnified in us. We, We want you to be lifted up. So God, we pray, we ask that you would work in our midst that we'd be able to point to you accurately. God, I pray that you would be lifted up. I pray that our church would burn, that our hearts would burn as a people for your namesake and for your fame. God, I pray we would be a people that are all about you and you alone. God, help us to do that. God, we confess we're weak. I confess that I am weak. So we pray for this time. I, I pray you would help me to teach. God, please help me. God, I pray you would help us to listen. God, give us ears to hear what you would say to us through your word. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, as we continue the book of James this morning, it's been a doozy. Uh, Let me remind you what's been going on in the book of James. James has been writing to his church. He's, He's kind of the lead pastor in Jerusalem, and his church has been scattered all over the place because of persecution. And now James is writing to his people who are, who are all over the place, writing to them to ask them to continue to follow Jesus, to stay strong. It's a very practical book about how to live the Christian life. This is probably the very first book that was written in the New Testament. It is the oldest New Testament book that we're aware of. And here's Pastor James writing to his church. And right out of the gate, he tells them how he wants them to deal with suffering. He's he's trying to shape and form their view of suffering by the gospel and good news of Jesus. He wants to make sure that as a people, they're facing with what the things that they're facing, that they keep what God is doing in mind, they keep his good news in mind. He's trying to form and and, uh, basically define what's really happening in their suffering. And in the middle of that conversation, James is now gonna pivot to talking about temptation. It's hard to follow the train of thought, but here's what I think is going on, and we're gonna hop in there in a second. Um, what James is doing is with all trials also come temptation. When, when, you start, when you start to enter into trials and times of difficulty, when things get hard, when, when things feel like they're difficult, immediately with all trials in our hearts, temptation begins to pop up. And James is addressing that. And these two ideas are so closely tied together that in James chapter 1, the very same word in the Greek that's used for trials is also the same word that's used for temptation. It, it means to be tested or to tried or to be tempted. It's a, it's a it's word has a wide range of meaning. And so I want you to see what, what he's about to hop into here. We're going to be in James chapter 1. And while you're, while you're turning there, when we talk about temptation... I really do believe that temptation is something that all of us know a lot about. Whether you're willing to admit it or not today in church, every single one of us know a lot about what it means to be tempted. And we've known it for a long, long, long time. It starts very quickly for us. It's like, I got five little kids, and let me tell you a story that's happened over and over and over again with my kids. They begin to walk or to crawl. Parents, I'm going to need you to agree with me on this one. If not, maybe you had perfect angels. But my perfect little angels, who are so cute and so sweet and so cuddly, got those awesome little cheeks that you can kiss all day long and make these beautiful cooing noises. They say, Dada and Mama, they're unbelievably adorable and innocent and sweet. 
But when they begin to crawl or roll, depending on how your kids work or walk, they quickly get access to things that are not safe for them that you don't want them touching. They grab lamps and pull them off uh, end tables, right? You know what I'm talking about? There's a famous electrical socket that every kid is attracted to, and they're all over your wall. They want to find every socket and stick their cute little chubby fingers in those sockets. And we've got this fear in us that like they will be electrocuted to death if they mess with that. So we're very aggressive. No, 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 no. Don't touch a socket. You're Whatever you're doing to keep your kids away from all of those no's. And here's what always happens with my kids. And maybe my kids are the devil incarnate. Maybe not your little precious angel. But my beautiful little angels, they'll get to this moment where we've been training them. Don't touch that. Don't grab that. Don't stick a fork inside of that or whatever it is they're doing. Uh, and they'll have this moment where you'll watch them. They'll crawl or waddle over to this socket. And you'll see them looking at it. And they'll look at it. And they'll look at you. Y'all seen this? And look back at it. And they look at you, and while they're looking at you, their little fat hand goes up just like this, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Why? What's going on? There's this temptation right out of the gate in us. We can barely put sentences, we can't even put sentences, we, we barely can say mama and dada. We, we can't even say words hardly, but immediately in our heart, we know what it is to be tempted. And you've known it from the day you were crawling until now. You've known it over and over and over again, and it only gets more intense the older you get. The temptation grows. It gets bigger. You, you have a, a much wider access to all sorts of different temptations. And listen, our society and world and culture is not slack in throwing temptation our way. It's not just that I'm getting more access to it. It's giving it's creating more access for me. What I used to be tempted with 10 years ago is not as much as now because it's coming at me in a million different sources and a million different ways. And so I want to take a look at what James says about temptation so that we have an idea of what's happening because I think in the midst of temptation, we can easily get twisted and misunderstand what's happening. So James, chapter 1. Let's look at what Pastor James says to his church about temptation. He's still finishing up trials. Verse 12 Let's read this, James chapter 1, verse 12, and he says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Listen, to this. he's been talking about trials and suffering the whole time. Blessed are you if you remain steadfast. Why? For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. He's saying, listen, all these things I've said about trials so far, I want you to stay true because God's going to reward you for staying fast. Verse 13, now he pivots, that same word, but he pivots to a different definition of it. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured away and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Listen, here, here's what James wants to do. He's trying to help his church understand what's happening in the midst of temptation. And the very first thing that James wants them to know is this. God is not the source of your temptation. Uh, I want you to hear that again. 
God is not the source of your temptation. James make it, makes it clear right out of the bat. This, this young church that's new, they know that God is big and he's in charge and he's in control. They, they see that. They, they see that God is over all their suffering and the hardship they're facing. But in the midst of it, they might get off and might begin to think that somehow God is not only involved in their suffering and the trials and the testing that's happening, they might begin to get off and then that God's actually involved in tempting them. And James is saying, no, 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 you need to hear me. That is not the character of God. He, he may let you be tried. He may let you be tested. He may take you through the fire. He may do all sorts of things to grow you and strengthen you, which we looked at in all the verses before this in James chapter 1. But what he is not going to do, what he does not do, is he does not tempt us with evil. This is important for us, church, because God always does what is right. He is holy and pure and powerful and good. He is all of those things. He never does what is wrong, and he always does what is right. He's, he is not impacted by temptation. It doesn't have influence on him. It doesn't sway him. His character is beyond the reach of temptation. And there's no temptation strong enough to lure God. There's no deception crafty enough to deceive him. He's too wise and good and pure and strong to even be tempted. He hates sin. He hates it. And his character is not that he's saying, listen, it's not just that I want to try you. He's like, I want to try to lure you into sin. That's not his character. His character is not to lure you into sin. It's actually totally different. His, what God does is he wants to actually provide an escape for you from all temptation to sin. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. You can flip in your Bibles over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I don't hear any pages turning, so I'm going to assume you're scrolling on your phone. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this. Uh, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, listen, every temptation that you get, listen, is you're not the only person that's ever been tempted. Everybody is tempted. It's common. There's a common theme with all of us. We are all tempted. But look at what God is. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Here's one of the things that God is doing. He puts a check on all temptation that you will ever go through, saying, I know there's a limit of what you can handle. And God has said, I will never, ever let you get tempted beyond what you are able to resist. Now think about that. Think about that promise for God. We have an enemy that wants to see us crash and burn. We have hearts that, are, that have this bent towards evil. We have a world that feels like it's constantly trying to lure us to sin. There's constant temptation. And God has said, I'm on your side to make sure it's never more than you can handle. Never, ever. That is God's promise to you and I. He will never let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now that temptation might get right to the edge of your ability, but he's never going to let it be more than you can handle. Look at what it says here in the rest of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But with the temptation, it's not that he limits it. It says with the temptation, you will also he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Like, well, his, his thing for you might be a, a way out, a door that he opens, a, a little path that's a little open. And you've got to run for it to get out from that temptation. But he said, I'm not going to let you get tempted more than what you can handle. And I will always provide 
a way of escape so that you can endure it. That, that's what God is saying about himself. James wants his church to know that God is not the source of your temptation. He wants you to know that God is on your side in temptation. He's making sure it's not more than you can handle, and he's making sure you've got a way out. I feel like that's good news for me. That's really, really good news for me because I could, I could crash and burn very, very easily, but God is on my side. When temptation is waging, when it, waging, I just, supposed to be raging? I don't know how I put a W in there. When temptation is raging, when you feel it like it's, feels like it's chasing you down and you can't escape it and you feel like you're almost sweating because you don't want to fall to temptation, God is on your side. When those moments when you feel like sin has a hold on you and there's this addiction that is grabbing you and pulling you down that you can't breathe, James wants you to know that God is on your side. The gospel reminds us that God is all in for helping you and I be holy and pure and free from sin. He, if he sends his son to die on the cross for us, he's going to give us everything we need. What more can he give us? I'm, I'm telling you, he's given you everything you need, and his promise is that he's on your side, no matter how big the temptation is, no matter how many times you've fallen to it, no matter how strong and powerful, no matter how much this temptation has wrapped up your entire family, it can go back for generation to generation to generation. And God is saying, I'm on your side. And I'm always there no matter what your past is, no matter what your weaknesses are, no matter what everyone else around you says, no matter what your family background is, no matter what it is, God is on your side to make sure that you and I can say no and we can escape. That's good news. Church, that's really, really Really good news, but, but there's something else that James wants them to know. He doesn't just want them to know that God's on their side. He wants them to know what the real source of the temptation is. I, did you notice what, what he said there when we read those verses? Let me read it to you. In verse, chapter 1, verse uh, 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. It's interesting to me. Listen to what James did not what James did not say temptation comes from. He did not say that Satan is the source of all our temptation. He didn't say that. You, you can't say, the devil made me do it. Even though I really want to be able to say that. I'm not saying he's not involved in temptation. But he's not the source of my temptation. He isn't. He also didn't say, listen, your circumstances are the source. He didn't say that. My, my situation may be involved in it, but I can never say that the situation is what caused me to sin. Uh, your circumstances may be rough. They may be hard. They may be difficult. But, but James doesn't go, listen, everyone is tempted when Satan's involved and when your family background is really rough. Like all of you are wrapped up in this. He's saying, no, it's not the devil. It's not your circumstances. It's not other people. He didn't say, listen, you guys are all suffering and you're struggling with temptation. If your spouse was just nicer to you, you wouldn't be struggling with that temptation. He didn't say, man, if your parents were more encouraging, if your kids would behave better, then you would not be struggling with that temptation. Listen, I'm not saying that your environment isn't a factor, but what, it, what James is saying is your environment is not the source. It's not the root. It's not the heart of your temptation. He, 
he said this. He said, our desires. Did you see that there? We're each tempted when what? Verse 14. We're, we're lured and enticed by our own desire. What, what is James saying there? He said, he's saying that the reason that something is tempting to me is because my heart has a desire for that thing. Now, this is not good news for us. This tells each of us that every single one of us have hearts that are dark and twisted, that want things we ought not to want, and we want it badly. And he's saying, listen, if your heart didn't want it, it wouldn't be a temptation. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, when we go to Moe's, my wife and I go to Moe's. I remember when we first were dating, we went into Moe's. We were Moe's people at that time because their queso is amazing. And I'm just now realizing as I say this, a lot of my illustrations have to do with food. Uh, maybe I'm always hungry at this time of day. I don't know, but, but I eat a lot. I probably need less. Okay, there's my confession. Let me move on. Uh, we would go to Moe's, and I'll never forget the first time I was with my wife at Moe's, she ordered this, like, Moo Mini or whatever it's called. That's what she did with tofu. Tofu. I asked her out after that again. I'm just going to tell you, but it took an act of God that I was dating a woman that ordered tofu at a restaurant. What do you do with that? That's not even part of the first date questions you ask. Do you, know, do you love Jesus? Like, what do you think about guys that want to go in the ministry? Do you like tofu? That didn't even hit the radar for me. She held out on that until I was already like crazy in love with her so I couldn't back out. She knew what she was doing. She hid tofu from me on purpose. I'm convinced of it. And she orders tofu. Now listen, you need to know something. Tofu, tofu has never been and never will be a temptation for me. Do you know why? Because I don't want it. I don't like it. Nothing in my taste buds or in my heart or in my stomach says, you know what I want right now? Tofu. I want a tofu burger. I want tofu fries. I want tofu in my burrito. No, that will never, ever happen. But you know what does get me? Let me give you an example. Trying to lose weight. And we take my kids to Dairy Queen. Not tofu queen. <laughs> Dairy Queen. And I tell myself, guys, you're going to be good you got to lose weight and a lot of it we go to Dairy Queen and my kids are getting these little mini blizzards with chocolate chip cookie dough in it and Reese's peanut butter cups and it's blended in this vanilla ice cream goodness I need, I need to go to Dairy Queen right now and let me just tell you immediately in that moment Dairy Queen is this place of horrible temptation for me why? because I want it if it was tofu queen and my kids were saying, Dad, take us to get a cup of tofu, I'd be like, fine, weirdos. I'm going to take my kids get them tofu. And zero out of a million times am I going to say, I want a cup of tofu with you. Never. Never. Because I don't have an appetite for it. I don't have a taste for it. I don't have a desire for it. And what James is saying is that you need to know this. If you're going to fight temptation... One of the things that you and I need to know is that temptation reveals a dark thing about us and our hearts. We want it, or it wouldn't be tempting. That feels like really, really bad and gross. It makes me feel gross when I think about the things that I'm tempted. It makes me feel 
mean and unworthy, despicable. And vile. I mean, think about the things that you're tempted with. And then what that means, that the fact is it's tempting because your heart wants it. You're tempted to gossip because your heart wants it. You're tempted to anger and to bitterness because your heart wants it. You're tempted to lust and greed because your heart wants it. You're, you're tempted to all sorts of things because your heart wants it. That's really bad news, but there's good news with this. That's exactly why Jesus came to die. He came to die because my heart wants those things. My, my biggest problem is not the fact that I'm tempted. My biggest problem is that I want those things that are tempting to me. I need more than just a good example of how to live my life. I need a Savior that will change my heart completely and give me all the power that I need to get free from these things that my heart wants because it only wants things that will destroy me. I mean, let me read some verses to you because the Bible puts these, these temptations into three big categories. If you turn your Bible to 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, let me read these verses to you. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, John is writing, and he talks about all these desires that we have. He gives three main categories of desires that you and I have. Verse 16, it says this, For all that is in the world, and here's what he says, the desires of the flesh, those are the things that I want to feel and experience or taste, the desires of the flesh. It's something for my body to experience. That's one of them. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes. Those are things that I want. This is things that I covet. This is things like greed. And the third one is and the pride of life. Things I want people to think about me and boast about me. The things I can boast in. My three main desires that he says here are the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life says this, that it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Church, this is what's happening in our heart. When, when you feel tempted, it's going to be in one of these three areas. There's something that your flesh wants, that you want to experience, that you want to feel, that you want to taste. It's all about you and what you feel in that moment. There's a second one, that pride of, I skipped the, the second one, the desires of the eyes. You can be driving by a house and see that you want it and greed grows up in you. Your car can break down on the side of the road and instead of working through that, immediately what happens, there's a desire that you want something. You see a car drive by and like, listen, I gotta have that car because it would be amazing. Like you begin to want things. You, you begin to want to covet other people's stuff. And the other one is the pride of life. I want you to look at me in a certain way. I want you to view me in a certain way. Whatever that is, whatever thing you think makes you either more desirable or more respectable, that all of a sudden we are, we are pushed and our buttons are pushed in these three main areas. Church, that's what's going on in us when we're tempted. We want to feel something, we want to own something, or we want people to view us in a certain way. And that's in every single one of us. And that, that goes down to the very core of our being. But James says something else there. Let me, let me flip back to James chapter 1. It's not just that God's not the source of our temptation. Our desires are the source of our temptation. 
But look at what happens in this. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Those words, lured and enticed, those are things that we use for fishing or for trapping things. That what's happening with temptation is it's trying to deceive you and to trap you. Look, look at what happens in verse uh, 15. When desire, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. He's saying, listen, I've got this thing in my heart. It wants it. And what's happening is it's luring and enticing and trying to trap me. That's what's happening with temptation. Listen, if you're good at fishing, you've got all sorts of illustrations about this. I'm not good at fishing. I'm good at throwing things in the water and pulling nothing out. But I have had experience catching things before. When I was in seminary, I did not live in a very good neighborhood. I may have told you all this story before. Um, and I didn't have a bed at the point. I was actually sleeping on the ground in the house that I was living in. It saved money. I know, whatever you want to say. That's what I was doing. And uh, our house in Virginia Beach had this little problem. It had a mouse problem. Uh, at the time, I didn't know how many mice we had, but there was definitely some mice that were in there. And the way I found out about our mouse problem was one morning I woke up to a pile of sunflower seeds that were chewed right by my head. That meant that all night or sometime during the night, I slept through a little mouse with his face right next to my face, just chewing on some sunflower seeds and leaving a pile Total disrespect in my own house, in my own bedroom. This mouse had waged war on me. And I knew what I was going to do. I was going to kill every mouse. You don't, disrespect, you don't disrespect me in my own house like that. Uh, especially, I couldn't imagine a mouse crawling on my face. That's really what it was. It wasn't honor. It was fear. Uh, but I pretend honor today. Um, I was going to wage war with these mice. So I got mouse traps, And uh, I did what every Tom and Jerry fan would do with mouse traps. I put cheese on the mouse traps. But I didn't know this. Apparently, mice don't like cheese as much as Tom and Jerry, or whichever one is the mouse. I don't know. One of those guys in the cartoon, mice always love cheese in cartoons. But in real life, this mouse did not like cheese. He didn't, the cheese would stay there. Nothing. Sunflower seeds, eaten. Cheese, there. Stayed for weeks. I'm like, I'm done with this stupid stuff with this mouse. And someone told me to try peanut butter. And listen, so that, that's what I did. This may be too gruesome for y'all. I don't, I don't know if you can handle this, but that's what I did. I started putting peanut butter on that thing, and I smeared it on that little trap like it was my job. And listen, I'm telling you, the very, I mean, I was not, it couldn't have been a few hours before, snap, and there's the mouse. That peanut butter, that creamy goodness from Jif called that little mouse over there, and he lost his brain. Every other time he saw that trap, which was in the same spot, he was like, I don't want that cheese. There's a big metal contraption with a spring tied to it. I don't want it. That looks dangerous. But the moment it started smelling that peanut butter, it lured and enticed that mouse. And it dragged him over. And he could not resist what his nose and stomach were telling him. And he ignored the trap and the hammer that was about to fall. And he nibbled and he nibbled and he nibbled until wham, the trap dropped down on his head. Um, it was gruesome. There were a lot of mice because that trap got worked a lot that semester in seminary. But, but that's the point for us. That's the point that James is making. Our hearts want something, but it's not just that we get to eat it and enjoy. It comes with a price. It puts its hooks in you. And it drags you. And the more times you bite it and the more times you eat it, the more hooks you get. And the more consequences you get. And just think for a moment about how dumb you and I are. 
Well, we're dumber than a mouse. Maybe we're dumber. I don't know. But, but think about this. You will go and you will taste this temptation and you will actually step from temptation into sin and the hammer will drop on you and you will hate it. You'll feel the shame and the guilt and the misery and the embarrassment. And you'll say, why was I ever so stupid? I'm never doing that again. Anyone ever been there? All right, good. You know what I'm talking about. I'm never doing it again. And then what happens a day later, a week later, maybe even 30 minutes later, I don't know what's going on in your life. Like you say, I'm not going to yell at my kids again. Not going to do it. Not going to get in a fight with my spouse like that again. I'm not, whatever it is, fill in the blank. And 30 minutes later, the consequences, I'm still hurting from the consequences before, and I smell the bait, and what do I do? Wham! And I do it over and over and over and over, and I'll do it for my whole life. Listen, you guys, this temptation comes with a trap. It doesn't deliver what it said it would deliver. It doesn't bring me the joy it promised to bring me. It doesn't bring me the satisfaction I thought. It brings shame and guilt and despair. It ruins relationships. It causes dysfunction. It'll burn your marriage down. It'll burn your family down. It'll wreck your entire life. And ultimately, at some moment, that temptation shifts to this desire that becomes more than desire, becomes intent. And once you do that, sin produces in you, and it will bring death. And I know it. And I go back. I know it has consequences I want, but still, I stay there over and over and over again. Listen, I want to talk to you what some practical applications of what I think James would tell us on how to deal with temptation for these moments. Let me just do a few things real quick. Number one, before you, when you're in the middle of temptation, I want to say this. First of all, number one, avoid temptation at all costs. You, you need to know how weak your heart is. You need to know that, listen, there may be this moment, if you, can, if you can, you need to avoid that temptation. Let me give you an example. Listen, if you know that you struggle with addiction, there are certain things you never need to be around, right? Do you, do you hear me? If you struggle with social media and it owns you, do not have your cell phone in your bedroom, right? You just need to avoid it, like, there's a time that there's certain steps you need to take. You need to be radical about this. If you know you're weak in a moment, you need to avoid temptation. Know your weaknesses. Know that your heart has desires, and that's your weak point. And if possible, do everything you can to avoid all temptation. But the reality is, we can't avoid all temptation, right? I know that the Bible says to flee youthful lust, but sometimes you can't run away. Sometimes there's no avoiding temptation. You find yourself in it and you're in the fight before you know what's happening. I want to tell you this. I want you, if you can't avoid it, I think the Bible says that you fight and you fight hard. Not soft and weak and all like, I don't know. I sat in there and I thought about not doing it for 30 minutes. I'm talking about throw down like you're in war, that your life is on the line. You fight temptation with everything that God would give you to fight it. The, the problem I think that happens for us way too often is we don't really fight it. We resist for a little while, but we don't fight. We need to do more than just resist. We need to fight. Let me throw you a few ways that you can fight or throw down on temptation. These are ways that God has given you. One of those is this. I, I say prayer and fasting. 
I'm talking like really throwing down. Like you pray. Say, God, I need your help. Well, why would I say that? Hebrews 4, 15 says this. You know that God can't experience temptation, but God took on human form so he could experience temptation. And Hebrews 4, 15 tells us, tells us this about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So I say, here's the deal. You've got the almighty creator of the universe, and he's sympathetic to you and my, our weaknesses. So go to him and ask for help. I mean, for real, throw down on it. And I don't mean just throw up a little prayer every now and then. Some of us are wrapped up in sin, big time wrapped up in sin. You need to do more than just pray before your meal, God help me not to sin. Some of us need to fight in prayer, like for real war that says, I'm done with this. And if I have to skip meals to beg God to help me not go down this path again, then I'm even going to be that crazy about it. So you can fight it with prayer and fasting. You can fight it with the word. <clears throat> Excuse me. The word is a tool in your belt for fighting. When the Bible talks about putting on the weapons of God, it talks about that those, you have a sword, and the sword is the word, and it's the spirit using that. Let me read this in Psalm 119. I, I want you to fight with the word, and not just... You don't just memorize scripture that's like weird and random. Like, okay, I'm going to memorize Jesus wept because that's going to help me with lust. No, that doesn't help you with lust. You need to memorize scripture that fights the heart that's happening in you. Your heart's desire for something more than Jesus. Your heart's desire for something that isn't glorifying to God. Listen to this, Psalm 119, verse 97 through 104. I just, I just added these this morning, so I'm not going to have them on the screen. So you can flip in your Bible here. Listen to this. Psalm 119, verse 97 says this. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Let me scoot down here. 101 says this. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. 103, look at this. I want you to hear this desire for the word that he's fighting here. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Here's how David is saying he fights sin, with the word. He throws down on it. He says, listen, I know that right now, whatever, fill in the blank, right now, I want this. But I know I don't need that. And I tell myself, I'm going to go to the word that says, I want Jesus more than whatever that thing is that's tempting me. I want him more than that. I want his way more than that. I want his wisdom more than my own way. I want Jesus. And you use the word to fight your heart's desire. <coughs> Sorry, I'm coughing. I'm getting worked up apparently this morning. Last thing is this. You, you fight it with prayer and fasting. You fight it with the word. And you fight it with community. Some of us are fighting all these things on our own. We're isolated. We're shallow. We're disconnected. We'll be in church for 40 years. We'll know each other's medical conditions. But we don't have any idea how each other's hearts are doing. Keep everyone distant. And listen, your heart is deceitful. It tricks you, and it owns you. And you need other people who are going to know your heart, 
and know your struggles and know you and are going to wade in with you at the deepest level. Listen, the reason so many of us are struggling in sin is we're hidden. The pride of life and how you view me is what I care about the most and it keeps me distant. And one of the greatest tools of grace God has given you is the people sitting in this room with you right now. They would walk alongside you. They'd fight with you. They'd labor with you. They'd weep with you. They'd come alongside and challenge you and push you and tell you, don't do this. They'd make it harder for you to sin. But we've isolated ourselves. Listen to this. Listen to this verse, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Listen to what community does. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. You're fighting with him to bring him back to Jesus. How? In a spirit of gentleness. And keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Hey, don't think your heart's got this. You wait in with each other knowing that you're all weak. That I show up to help you fight this and my heart wants it too. And we're going to fight this thing together. Listen, church, I, I want you to know God's given you things to be able to fight temptation but what you need is you need to know that Jesus has everything you need to beat this. And I want to give you one last bit of good news. Because sometimes temptation, sometimes we don't win temptation. Sometimes we, temptation for us leads to sin. And after you sin, I want you to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want you to blame shift and say, it wasn't me, it was the devil, it was my wife, it was my upbringing. No, you own it. It was your heart. It was your actions. You did it. And you ask Jesus to forgive you and believe that when he died on the cross, he really does forgive you. I want you to believe that when he shed his blood, he really does clean you. I want you to believe that he came back from the dead and he really actually, with that same resurrection power, can give you a new heart and can help you fight this thing. He can actually help you say no. I want you to believe that he's with you and that he understands and that he cares. I want you to believe that God is 100% on your, time, on your side with everything that he has to clean you and to keep you close and to help you fight and to help you get victory. God is on your side even when you aren't right. Even when you fail. He doesn't put you at arm's distance and say, in three weeks' time when I think you've been sad enough, then I'll help you. No, he's with you the whole time. Church, I don't know if you're struggling with temptation today or if you're wrapped up in sin, if you doubt that Jesus can help or forgive, but today I want you to know this. Whatever you're struggling with, Jesus can help. And you fight that temptation with prayer, with the word, with community, and when you fail, you believe the gospel. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to give you a moment to respond Right there in your seat, I just, if you're struggling with, with sin, would you ask God to help? Listen, if, if you've been weak in fighting and you haven't been fighting with prayer, you haven't been fighting with the word, you haven't been fighting by digging into relationships in the church, listen, would you ask God to forgive you and ask him to help you do those things? Maybe as we talk about this, you're so wrapped up in shame because you've lost the temptation so many times. Over and over and over again, you've struggled. Over and over and over again, you've failed. 
over and over and over again, you just feel like, man, there's no way God can be pleased with me. So I wanna, I wanna encourage you, I wanna remind you of the good news of Jesus, that he came and lived a perfect life. And then when he went to that cross, he took all of my failure and all of your failure and he, he paid the penalty and the price for every single one of those things. And he came back to life three days later and, and God offers this shocking trade for us. He said, if you'll believe me, if you'll ask me to save you, if you'll believe what Jesus did on the cross, if you believe that he came back from the dead and asked him to save you, then God offers this trade. I will take all your sin and I'll give you all of Jesus' righteousness. I'll take all your failures and I'll give you credit for all his success. In other words, I'll take Jesus in your place. Listen, if you've failed over and over and over again, I want to remind you that Jesus never failed. And if you've trusted in him, you get credit for his wins. If you're trusting in him, he paid the price for your failure. And he will do it over and over and over again until the end. I want you to believe the gospel today. If you've never placed your trust in him, there's no one you know you're trying to fight this on your own. You need Jesus to help. If you've never placed your trust in him, I want to encourage you today. Trust him. Ask him to save you. We'd love to speak to you afterwards if that's what you need to do. In a moment, I'm going to close in prayer. Uh, at the end of our service, uh, if you need to speak to one of our pastors, we'll be down front. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you, help you in any way we can. Um, and just help you in whatever God's doing in your heart. If you need more time to do business with God, then we can do that after the service. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we need you. And we are grateful that you are a God that saves and forgives, that you're merciful and kind. God, thank you for that. I pray for us that you would help us in temptation, help us to fight by your power. God, and when we fail, I pray we'd really believe the gospel, that you forgive, that you clean, that you give power to fight and change. God, I pray you'd make us a people that would really hate sin and love you. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.